So I'll tell you the Afghan story. So I was obviously in Baghdad doing some intelligence work at the time for my company. And one of my sources was a guy called Aziz. And he was a a really, really nice guy. He was probably 70 years old, really well educated, um, used to work in the parliament um, against, uh, he, he was um, kind of one of the guys that headed up the anti-Saddam sort of Ba'athist party regime um, uh, trials, I guess. Um, and, you know, was a very liberal thinking guy, you know, uh, wasn't... Um, wasn't staunchly uh, religious in that sense. And I really just enjoy spending time with him, to be fair. And we talk about all sorts of things, you know, state of the country, whatever. And he had a right-hand guy who was called the captain. And the, the reason they were, he was called the captain, and uh, it will become apparent as we go on with the story, is Aziz and the captain used to be very, very high up in, the, in Iraq airways. And Aziz used to be head of the Civil Aviation Authority in Iraq under Saddam. Uh, and the captain turned out to be the chief uh, test pilot for Iraqi Airways. So obviously knew how to fly planes. And um, we, we, during one of our kind of meetings, Aziz and the captain were talking about their, their time in the, you know, in the past in the Civil Aviation Authority. And, and Aziz said, you know, what would really be uh, good is if we could start an airline between Tehran in Iran and Najaf in southern Iraq. And Najaf is the second most holy site for Shia Muslims in the world after Mecca. And he said, at the moment, you have all these pilgrims that come across every year and they've got to drive from Tehran and, and takes three days or whatever. Um, there's a big airstrip down in Najaf that's, that's empty that nobody uses. We could fly planes into there, you know, um, and we'd just transport transport all these uh, all these pilgrims so he said you know do you know anybody that might be able to help so i said well okay let me let me sort of fish around and i'll see and at the time i, I knew this afghan warlord in kabul and he owned Kamer. and i didn't know him well but by mutual friends i fixed up this meeting with this guy in in dubai at the fairmont hotel so the captain and I um, jump on a plane from Baghdad into Dubai, and then we were going to go on from Dubai to, uh, to Kabul. Now, the captain, you know, you and I can travel around the world without too many problems. At the time, it was really difficult for an Iraqi to kind of travel anywhere. And I didn't know he needed a visa to get into Dubai. So he gets stopped at the airport. We get separated. It's a complete fucking shit show in Dubai airport. We were happy, you know, he had to spend the night in the airport. Um, eventually, by hook or by crook, somehow I managed to find him the next day. And, you know, anyway, we, uh, we, we kind of, we're good to go into, um, into Dubai. So we get to the Fairmont Hotel, which at the time was a very beautiful hotel in Dubai. Um, and... We have, you know, we, we come to, to the, the meeting area and, and Kumgar is sat there and he's got this entourage. And, I, you know, like I say, I'd never met Kumgar in person at this stage. This was the first time. Now, Kumgar looks like an Afghan warlord Shudluck. He literally looks like he could chew the paint off walls. He's this huge bear of a man. Always kind of has this stone you know, expression, distant eyes. He's got this enormous mustache hands like shovels um you know dressed reasonably nicely but it doesn't look impressed by anything ever um he's got this kind of there's three other people with him one's this woman 
fuck knows what she's doing there. She's like kind of his business advisor, stroke interpreter, this Dutch woman. Um, one is this Greek airline pilot that advises him on all, all his air matters. And then there's this kid um, who's his translator because Kumkar doesn't speak English. And I don't speak Farsi, so, you know... Um, we, we needed a translator. So I'm there with the captain and then he's got his four people. So we start laying it out. I say, look, this is my idea. Well, this is what we'd like to do. You know, we would like to start an airline from Najaf to Tehran or Tehran to Najaf to, to you know, get all these uh, pilgrims in. And obviously, you know, he's, he's Muslim himself, so he understands. Um, and we start thrashing it out. Um, and he's like, okay, you know, through his translator, you guys are coming to Kabul tomorrow. We'll talk about it there. I do have two planes that I could give you um, and we'll, we'll thrash the deal out. So we're like, okay, fuck, you know, we, we didn't really have any intention of going into, uh, into Kabul, but okay. So the next day we jump on a plane, head into Kabul. Again, no visas, get stopped at the airport in Kabul. Um, we ain't going anywhere at the airport and eventually... I get hold of Kumgar's interpreter and said, look, we're stuck at the airport. Kumgar's sort of entourage turn up. And bearing in mind, Kumgar practically owns the airport in Kabul. They give the customs guys a good telling off and we jump in these beautiful brand new Land Cruisers um, and we're driving through the back streets of Kabul. Um, so we, we eventually get to Kumgar's house and he'd laid on lunch for us. This is probably 12 o'clock. Now we were due back at the airport by four o'clock. I think the flight was back into Baghdad. So, you know, we just say to the guys, look, you know, we've got to be back at four on your flight that's scheduled into Dubai, through Dubai to, to Baghdad. Um, but, you know, we start thrashing out the deal. And sorry, I missed a bit. When we're at the airport, very key bit, when we're at the airport, we... Um, you know, we meet the guys and we get through customs or whatever and we drive onto the tarmac again. And there's two planes on the tarmac that Kumgar had, had put out there. Now, they were very old 737s, but they were still jet aircraft. And, you know, so we get on the planes, we have a look around the planes. The captain starts doing his thing. Um, you know, we didn't take them up in the air, but he's checking everything out. He's checking all the certificates out or whatever. One of which is painted gold. Um... So, you know, I said to the captain, are you okay? You good? Should we, should we go for lunch? And that's when we went to his house for lunch. So we'd looked at the planes and everything's cool. Two 737s that were kind of earmarked for us. Um, now, the captain said to me, you know, obviously I understand Muslim culture, but he said, look, it's, it's very important, particularly in, you know, Kabul. Don't kind of stare at any of the women or anything like that. You know, it's, they're going to be very strict about these things. And Kumgar wasn't like a particularly religious man of sorts. You know, he was a business guy. He, um, and... You know, he owned Camair, like I say, and, and he owned a big construction company at Kabul. So he was a very wealthy guy. Um, and he was an ex-warlord. He was in the Northern Alliance. Um, and so, you know, we're having lunch or whatever, and, we, you know, we're getting on well. And he, uh, he, again, doesn't speak English, so everything's through the translator. But he gets a bottle of, uh, it's called Blue Bolts. And I don't know if you know what that is, but it's like a it's like a very strong liqueur normally you mix it with something else or it's mixed into something else but this guy drinks this stuff straight so you know he and i are, are throwing down blue bolts and getting really shit-faced by this stage um so we're talking about the deal and i was like look how did you um how did you end up owning an airline um and he said, well, it's a strange story, but um, so back in the day, back when, we, you know, I was a warlord in the Northern Alliance and we were backed by the US military, 
the head of the Northern Alliance, another warlord, and again, I can find his name, I can't remember it off the top of my head. He, um, he owed me two million bucks, but he had a falling out with the US and he had to kind of flee the country. Um, and he said, look, he was a friend of mine, but, you know, two million bucks is two million bucks. So when I approached this guy or when he approached this guy, he said, look, you owe me two million bucks. And the guy said, well, I don't have two million bucks, but I have two aircraft that I confiscated from the Taliban. I'll give you those in compensation for your two million dollars. So Kumgar said, yeah, OK, sounds like a good deal. So he said, you know, I was, I was there with two aircraft. Now, what the fuck do you do with two aircraft other than start an airline? So I started transporting people internally in, in, in you know, Afghanistan. And then obviously as I grew and I bought more planes and by this stage he owned like 10 planes, um, I started, you know, flying to Dubai and to other places. And so, you know, he had a genuine airline. I mean, he was certified to fly internationally and everything. Uh, so, you know, he was, he was the real deal. Um, but, you know, as, as we went on, he and I just, you know, he carries on drinking this Blue Bolts and, you know, it's kind of coming towards three in the afternoon now. And the, the captain's still sort of tapping, tapping his watch at me saying that you've got to go because the captain was going to stay for another couple of days to kind of sort all the logistics out for the aircraft. Um, so I said, you know, I said to come guy, look, I, I, I don't mean to be rude here, buddy, but I, I've got to get to the airport because you've got a flight leaving at four o'clock that, I, you know, I have to be on. And he's like, oh, don't worry. So he, he, he makes a call. And, uh, you know, he's like, okay, so it's like 3.30 at this stage. Um, he said, right, come on, we, uh, we need to get you to the airport. So, you know, he, just he and I, jump in his Land Cruiser, driving through the back streets of Kabul, utterly shit-faced. Um, he drives straight onto the runway without any checks whatsoever. Um, kind of, you know, gives me a hug and, and sends me out. And he's parked right next to where the plane is and the stairs to the plane. It wasn't one of those kind of walkways. He actually went up to the runway. He had stairs up there. I literally stumble out of this car, this Land Cruiser, up the stairs. And he booked me a first-class seat or, you know, what business class, whatever it was. Um, and so I stumble into this seat. And the plane had been held on the tarmac for about an hour at this stage. And it just happens I stumble into the seat and there's a guy sat next to me that I knew um, from Dubai. And uh, he's like, you know, what the fuck have you been doing? I was like, you, 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 you know, you're not going to believe it if I tell you. So I won't even bother starting with a story. He's like, are you the reason this plane's been held up for like an hour? I was like, yeah, like, I mean, unfortunately I am, but it wasn't really my fault as such. It's the guy that owns the airline. So yeah, we eventually get back and, you know, we had a, we had, you know, the makings of a really good deal. Unfortunately, when I went to the US, they wouldn't allow uh, clearance for a commercial flight to fly from Iran to Najaf. So the whole deal fell down. Um, but basically, you know, it was, uh, it was going to be uh, a really lucrative sort of uh, uh, business if we could have got it off the ground, no pun intended. Uh, but that's the story with the warlord.